Hello again, and a warm welcome to this special series of the Hive podcast, featuring the interviews from my new book, Business Unusual, Values, Uncertainty, and the Psychology of Brand Resilience. Join me, Natalie Nahai, and some very special guests as we explore the ideas transforming the world of business, brands, and beyond. For more information and resources on today's episode, please visit natalinahai.com forward slash the Hive podcast. And for more information around the book, please visit businessunusualthebook.com. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy the show. Today, I speak with the inimitable Brian Solis, a world-renowned digital anthropologist and futurist. An award-winning author and global keynote speaker, Brian's research, advisory and presentations humanise the relationship between disruptive innovation and its impact on institutions, markets and societies. He not only helps audiences understand what's happening and why, he also visualises future trends and inspires people to take leading roles in defining the future they want to see. Brian serves as global innovation evangelist at Salesforce and his work focuses on thought leadership and research that explores digital transformation, innovation and disruption, customer experience, commerce, and the cognitive enterprise. He has advised leading brands, celebrities, and startups, and his ideas and work are consistently featured in the press. A regular contributor to leading business and industry publications, including Forbes, Harvard Business Review, CMO.com, Adweek, and others, Brian is also an official LinkedIn influencer and is followed by over 700,000 people across social media. Brian, it's a great pleasure to be speaking with you today on the show. Uh, oh my goodness, the pleasure is all mine. It, it absolutely is. And uh, I miss seeing you out there on the circuit. Oh, I know. I mean, our paths did cross virtually somewhat at the Social Bakers Engage, but it's, it's just not the same as reaching out a hand and saying hello. <laughs> oh, I was so excited for that. It, to happen in real life. Uh, so hopefully, hopefully we get reinvited back. Mm. So I'd like to start by asking you what I typically invite my guests to answer. And we're living through a very unusual point in history right now. And I'd love to ask what you think is happening in the global human psyche. So we're just going to start basically with a small question. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I believe that this is fundamentally uh, a hard reset on the human operating system. And for those who are open to possibilities that we have already been uh, reprogrammed, rewired uh, over the last year, going back to, to March 2020, and shortly before, uh, depending on where you were in the world, uh, to essentially reset everything from our values and our processes of decision-making, uh, to reassessing how we may define success, uh, rewiring our daily behaviors consciously and subconsciously, uh, and also uh, learning to rethink our relationship with time and technology. Uh, so we've essentially have been fundamentally transforming for better and worse. Mm -hmm. uh, and that that has yet to see its true its true impact 
in what I'm calling the, the, the reemergence, mm-hmm. uh, when the vaccine has established enough herd immunity where people feel safe to start venturing out uh, to do the things that they did uh, so so seamlessly before, for example, like like traveling. Mm. It's interesting hearing you speak to those layers of rewiring. So one of the things I'm curious to hear a little more about is what you feel might have changed in terms of what we prioritize, whether at work or in our values. What are some of the things that you're perceiving right now? There are uh, many, many sides to this this reset. One being on the positive, because I'm, I'm an optimist. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when when you have such a powerful transformation that is placed upon you, uh, so you have no choice in the matter, uh, you, you have then the layers of so, sort of stoicism where you can embrace that these events will happen to you, but you are, uh, while you're not in control of them, you can be in, in control of how you react to them. Uh, and how you choose then to move forward. And you can see then that this will be temporary, that there will be hardships, that there will be new lessons to be learned along the way, uh, and you can take them with what they are and define where you see yourself uh, in increments. Uh, three months within this pandemic, six months within this pandemic, uh, at the at the reemergence, a year past the reemergence, uh, and you could even go through a fun mental exercise of what's the 2022 Brian going to tell the 2021 <laughs> Brian? What's 2021 Brian going to tell the 2020 Brian of what he should have done mm. uh, to smile along the way, learn along the way, and also be a better self uh, for those around them? Because not everybody's going to go through those mental exercises, mm-hmm. uh, and. That's uh, that's the ultimate. That's the ultimate way. Uh, and then peeling back that layer is to then understand the other side of the equation, where well, people are hopeful, but at the same time, people are scared. Mm-hmm. People are fearful. Uh, they're worried about the economy, their health, the health of their loved ones. They're seeing these incredible news cycles of, of inc- just cases of of infections and deaths soaring all around the world uh then the the anger and the jealousy of countries that have managed the the disease very well like new zealand and australia uh you have uh singapore and and taiwan and then you have the united states hitting 500,000 and you can't help but no matter where you are in the optimism or the skepticism or the or the negativity spectrum you feel feel this like desire this anger this frustration of wanting to be like everybody mm-hmm. else and just move past this uh so the emotional component of this is the one that i think is most difficult to manage because of the somatic marker that is this this once in a lifetime pandemic uh and that that's where the transformation, I think, is really taking place because essentially, deep down, we've forged this emotional bookmark, uh, this visceral, this deep, this 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 triggerable uh, emotional thing that we might embrace, or we might suppress within each of mm-hmm. us. Uh, but it's the one thing that we all share, uh, and like our our family and and ancestors who went through World War II, it's going to change us. Uh, So this is where our values are changing, for example, how we spend money, how we don't, Mm. uh, where we spend it, uh, and why. What we choose to spend, do with our time, who we want to spend it with, uh, why we may look more inwardly at, for example, if I was going to buy this sports car, but instead I'm going to buy a Peloton uh, and an RV. Mm. Uh, And so... 
essentially it's a, it's a it's this moment now where we're going to have a new center of reference for how we make decisions about our lives mm-hmm. uh, moving forward. We might change careers. We might uh, we might finally indulge those passions that we've long uh, repressed because of being quote unquote busy over the years, uh, and starting to make time for what might be really important in our lives. Mm-hmm. And and that that somatic marker becomes sort of that that deep emotional reference point uh, where we're going to then see it in a new light. Oh yes, I guess I could have made time for this before. Or yes, I see now how important that is where I couldn't before. Uh, so that's that's the one side of 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 it. The other side is we force you know, still that somatic marker, right? But now all of this is going to move towards anger uh, rather than hope. And when you force an entire world to essentially become more and more digital uh, and essentially digital first in many cases mm-hmm. uh, you you do so without a manual or a playbook or a mentor or a teacher or a coach or instructor who's going to teach you digital literacy you, you don't have a psychologist or psychiatrist or medical professionals who are going to explain, here's what happens to your brain and your body the more time you spend on TikTok. I understand that you're using it uh, as a form of escapism and as, and as a form of coping uh, through all of this craziness that's happening. But here's what's happening every time you scroll on Instagram, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, here's what's happening every time you share a selfie. Here's what's happening every time you participate in whatever challenge you're, 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 you're doing on TikTok. And essentially that starts to rewire your brain, body, and biology uh, into a very negative and dangerous place where then suddenly you feel like you don't matter in life unless you have these likes, these followers, these connections, uh, and it starts to erode slowly and then quickly your self-confidence, your self-esteem, your mental health, uh, a lot of of things that aren't good. And then at the same time, on both fronts, sorry to throw so much at you, but at the same time on, on, on both fronts, you have... The optimist and the pessimist who then meet in the middle where everybody's been thrust uh, into this digital first economy without any of those lessons in life uh, who are going to then have to track through these things very differently. The one thing, for example, on the negative side, you might see news and information in your own inflamed biases that are now activated fully. So if you believe that Bill Gates is trying to place a microchip within you, then the vaccine has suddenly become that mechanism to do it, and now you're up in arms that the world is being taken over by the global elite. Uh, It's the same thing that uh, people believe in QAnon, uh, the reason why Trump was able to to essentially mind control so many evangelicals and and, uh, radical rights, Uh, the reason why we believe all of these things online that most most sane people would not believe, but that's actually growing and growing and growing and growing because there's nothing there to counter mm-hmm. it on the other side. Uh, then the optimist side who's spending more and more time in digital, the danger to them is that, well, they're spending more and more time on digital. And part of part of what happens to us in, in using all of these applications and networks is that we then get fooled into believing that we have to move at internet speed uh, and that our brain and our body has, has to learn how to react at that speed and scale in order to to do our work every day, but also manage all of the notifications while also managing all of the different presences that we have. It's one of the reasons that you'll see in a symptom that we'll have 50,000 tabs open because we can't Mm. close and finish out one thing in the moment uh, while we have so many files on our digital desktops because we can't just file them and organize them and put them away and move on. Uh, And that, that 
in of itself, you know, whereas the other side it erodes your brain uh, <laughs> and also your self-esteem, this side starts to erode your gray matter. It starts to erode your capability to, to tap into deep creativity and flow and thinking. It makes you move faster. It makes you more prone to mistakes. It uh, makes you more prone to more distractions, which perpetuates more and more problems. So uh, this, this is all happening to society right now without a counterbalance. Uh, and it's, it's, it's affecting all of the spectrums. It's a curious one because I think one of the things that I've seen a sudden swell of texts and podcasts and books about are some of these old ways to contain and give form to discrete pockets of time. So, for instance, the use of ritual. But there seem to be some threads that we've dropped along the way in our haste to kind of follow this internet speed we're so now accustomed to that actually people are starting to pick back up. But that being said, actually, one of the things I want to ask you, especially in your role as a digital anthropologist. Um, it touches on your work in, in humanizing the relationship between disruptive innovation and its impact on everything from institutions and markets to societies. I'd like to ask what you think may be some of the most significant innovations that emerge from this pandemic period, or as you might say, the, the re-emergence, what, what you might see coming there. You know, the interesting thing about the pandemic is that it's opened the door and also accelerated all kinds of things that we might have at every level or whatever position we're in put off mentally because we just couldn't mm. see or feel or embrace what those applications could be at the moment because yeah. we were so busy iterating in life. Uh, and this is, this is one of the greatest lessons in life that shows that there are two moments for true innovation. One is the aha moment, for example, like all of the things that you just said in terms of AI capabilities, we have edge computing of things that personalization at the edge that's now possible. We have uh, an incredible AR uh, that's been here for many years, but no real killer apps. Uh, AI that's been been here, but uh, we, we settled for things like RPA and automation. Uh, so it's when when we when we have this aha moment it's because we can see a clearer future than most people cannot for example mm. we have robotics and ai we can teach it to do virtual virtual restocking of shelves like we see happening in japan now mm. uh, that that technology's actually been here for a long time but nobody's really made that killer up uh, app for it because, well, we had human beings who could just do that and it, you know, it's cheap labor and we don't have to think that way yet. But then suddenly when you didn't have access to that labor, accelerated sort of that need to do it. Otherwise you perish, you know, adapt or die. Uh, and it kind of comes back to that digital Darwinism concept that I've been talking about for a long time. Uh, and so that's, you know, the visionary will say, aha, this is what we can do. And then you have the other side of innovation, which is, uh-oh, we need to do something <laughs> quickly. And yeah. That's why we saw things like, you know, remote working, for example, has been long time. We used to call it telecommuting. Mm. Uh, but the, the, the human side of it found everything wrong with it. We need you in the office. We don't trust you. We need uh, that, team, that team camaraderie that you can only get uh, in an analog world. Uh, and then suddenly, within weeks, everybody was working from home. Uh, you know, we've been telling businesses all around the world, uh, you, you as well, you know, you have to become more digital. Your customers becoming more digital. You have to give them, you have to cater to their digital needs. You have to s set up commerce and all kinds of uh, hybrids between digital and analog. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, <laughs> e-commerce is only this such percentage now and blah, blah, blah. And then suddenly in the first 90 days of the pandemic, 10 years of e-commerce e adoption accelerates yeah. in 90 days. <laughs> and okay, we need e-commerce. We need all of these things. And so when you get to that point, I guess my, my point is when you react like that, mm. you're not giving 
innovation and all of these incredible technologies its truest opportunity to excel. You're essentially adapting what you did before uh, in this new world. And so then what ends up happening as we move and the more time we spend in this pandemic, uh, the more time then you get locked into this iteration mode where you're just going to build upon now what you've built. Uh, in in the pandemic, and then post-pandemic, you're going to be stuck iterating upon that and still not seeing the vision for what you can do that's different, that's creating new value for yourself and, and the world. Uh, and so this is, this is an incredible moment in time. I call it the novel economy, where uh, you actually have to be much more mindful in two fronts. What do we need to iterate so that we can get by? For example, we can't scale human beings on customer service, so we are going to need chatbots. We're going to have to deploy quickly. So let's do that in a way that is the best we can with the time we have. But we have to set a parallel track. How are we going to use this technology to create better value for customers so that they see that this technology is actually a better move? So you need an iteration track and an innovation track. Uh, And so it essentially then starts to tell everybody, the technology is here, but you need a different operating model and how you're going to adopt it, implement it, and then mature it over time. And that's, that's essentially then telling everybody, all businesses, all organizations are operating on 50, 60, 70-year-old models mm. that are dated. The pandemic gave you a control-alt-delete moment, <laughs> a gift, if you want to see it as such, where, yes, it's painful. Yes, it's going to suck. Yes, you're going to have to move people around. Yes, not everybody's going to want to come along with it. But it's that one once-in-a-lifetime moment where you get to innovate forward. You get to do all the things you never did or you long pushed away to compete for a new economy because there are businesses, there are startups, there are people right now who are going to come out of this and create essentially what's going to be the roaring 20s of our era. Uh, and you're going to deal with a whole nother uh, global disruption if you, don't, if you don't start to think this way right now because that reemergence it's technically months away, maybe 11 months, 10 months, you know, but it's months away. So if I were to ask you what you might imagine the future of work to look like, and obviously that has so many different components to it, and it depends on the industry and whether we can connect remotely to work from wherever we are. But if I were to ask you to envision your wildest dream of what the future of work could look like, how might you begin to answer that? Oh, wildest dreams. Hmm. <laughs> playtime <laughs> <laughs> well i i don't think i don't think we're going to go back to a nine to five right just like the basic constructs uh, mm-hmm. the company that i work for salesforce we just announced that we're we're never going back to requiring everybody to be in the office mm. that uh, we're going to give employees a choice uh, i do think though that let me come at it at a different angle sure. because I know I'm sure you've got some really smart people telling you about the hybrid work models that are going to exist, the, the different time, different time constraints. Uh, I, I want to focus on the thing that we're not talking about so mm. much, which is uh, none of us are great self managers just because we're all human beings. Uh, very few of us are are very rigid. And as I'm bringing this up, though, there's this notion of wellness that we've long ignored in business. Uh, you know, the concept of, you know, to give it a word uh, or a term, employee experience. Uh, and if you think about what experience is, it's a series of just reactions, emotional, intellectual, to moments, uh, to work, to applications that you have to use, to customers that you talk to or coworkers. And so we don't spend enough time really thinking about what, what those experiences should be. 
And then you add a pandemic to this, and you have to then deal with somebody who is having to now learn new tools, having to work from home, maybe somebody who doesn't have a desk or a place or a spot to work, great internet connection, maybe they, are, they have noise outside or neighbors. Uh, and this then becomes a whole new realm that we we weren't prepared to deal with. Right? If you think about the idea of human resources and how we train people, how we manage people, uh, we're rarely checking in on how you doing, how you feeling, what can we do to make that better? Uh, and then applying budget and resources you know, be, to making that, to solving that or, or contending with that. Because we know that one person who feels that way is probably represented by a greater majority who are not saying something or we didn't ask. Uh, and now suddenly you thrust everybody into their home. So the, the thing was, you're not working from home. You're actually working at home mm. during a crisis, trying mm. to work. Uh, and we're all learning how to do that. We're all then everything that we just talked about, uh, thrusting ourselves into more digital, coping through all of these other networks as a form of entertainment, binging every single Netflix episode, uh, <laughs> just 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 to keep our minds off of all the other things. And so we're essentially reprogramming ourselves without intent. So there's no one on the other side saying, how are you feeling? What can I do? Uh, and then bringing this level of expertise of knowing that people are rewiring themselves and probably worrying, rewiring themselves into multitasking. And I'll give you a scenario. The more you multitask, the more you fly at this higher level. The more you fly at this higher level, the more you're prone to essentially moving from distraction to distraction to distraction. When you indulge a distraction and you break away from something that you're, you're involved in, like say deeper work, it takes 23 minutes to get back to that state of that depth. Uh, of of work, and so if you entertain every single distraction that comes at your way within you know before the pandemic it was upwards of two hundred per day, uh, you are completely uh, imploding your ability to be productive and creative, uh, and so you're not your best self, even though you're just checking the box on the to do list. So the more you're distracted, the more time it takes to actually do one thing, and the more time it takes to do that one thing, you still want to get it done, so you spend more time trying to do it. So you end up working longer hours. And the longer hours that you do, it starts to take away from the things that matter to you, like your kids, your loved ones, uh, breaks for mental health, walks, what have you. And so you get thrust into this vicious cycle that isn't going to improve without some type of intervention. Uh, and the more, the more, and the longer this happens, uh, the more intervention, uh, the more serious that intervention is going to become uh, and need. So look at, for example, fake news, QAnon, you name it. Uh, these are people who are going to need full-blown uh, detox, uh, not detox, actually, deprogramming. That's going to take a long time. Uh, and it's not just, okay, hey, turn off the internet. It's rewiring people to be in a better place than to move forward in a better direction. So that's the future of work that I think we're going to have to contend with, is reprogramming a society to be healthier, happier, and more creative uh, as we become more and more digital. It's so interesting hearing you speak about the impact of unintentionally engaging with technology to lift us out of what are probably for many of us uncomfortable or dysphoric states. And I think when you, you put that alongside the advances that we're seeing and what you mentioned there about one's intention, how to use these things, how to interact with them, there's a really big question mark as to how we want to organise our time and our work rhythm going forward if we are the ones who are going to be in charge 
and not as part of some larger organisation that says, okay, well, we want you at the desk at this time, etc. Given all of the increased technology that we've seen, the adoption that's happened at a rapid pace in the last period of time over the pandemic and the lockdowns, and probably the increased automation of jobs that has been accelerated off the back of this and then a growing reliance on machine intelligence and what have you. What do you think are some of the human qualities that we might come to value more as time goes on? It's funny you should ask. I just <laughs> happened to, uh, I'm giving a presentation on this today. Uh, mm-hmm. And it a lot of it developed from the last book that I wrote, which was a complete departure of what where my work was focused because I had noticed over the last several years that when you take any one of these popular networks, TikTok, Snapchat, Instagram, uh, the latest Clubhouse, they they all trade on the same currency, which is your attention. Netflix is in the same camp, uh, Facebook. Uh, and so the more of the attention of yours that they have, uh, the more of it that they can monetize. Uh, but you don't, you don't, you weren't born in, uh, inherently capable of knowing how to do a, of a, a TikTok. You had to learn it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and not only did you have to learn it, you had to then see or feel that it was valuable for your time. And as a result, uh, you then spent more and more time consuming and creating. Uh, so essentially, th- how these networks work is that they it's a, it's a form of social engineering, uh, and then also persuasive design, its intention is to change your to your behavior today in its favor. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is true for every single one of those networks. And there's all kinds of really awesome techniques. And this is also used in gaming. This is used in casinos. It's just become more and more sophisticated on the digital and mobile side of things, uh, where it, 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 its goal is to hook you. Uh, and essentially to make you micro or macro uh, addicted to to each of the platforms where you can't put it down. Uh, Reed Hastings famously said in a shareholder call, uh, you know, when one asked about his biggest competition, he said it was sleep, and he <laughs> said that we're winning, and he's right. Uh, and so the same could be true for all other networks. And so the the reason why I say this is because it, you know I spent th- three years understanding one how persuasive design works, and then also what it does to you. Uh, and when you know that, then you can start to understand what you do about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're not having those conversations, and yet we're thrusting all of this this upon our employees and ourselves without essentially doing this. We might wake up every day and do our amazing rituals like yoga, meditation. Uh, we'll, we'll take our favorite apps like Calm and Headspace. We'll go read a book. But you're still, you're still reprogramming yourself every single time you go back to this stuff. Uh, and you can't necessarily live in a world without all of this stuff. So what we're, what we're doing at best is treating these symptoms and preventing it from becoming worse and worse and worse, but we're not getting better and better and better. We might tell ourselves that we are, but really deep down, the, the skills then that we're robbing ourselves as a result of this is things like 
critical thinking or analytical thinking, you know, and then that's where you enter QAnon and all these crazy mm-hmm. conspiracy theories, uh, active learning and learning. So that means you, you create sort of like Dunn and Gruger mm-hmm. syndrome where people feel like, or you create, or you foster ignorance or arrogance uh, because people feel like they've learned enough because they're on their own path of development and experience. Uh, you take away things like complex problem solving because people are moving much more superficially and quicker and then mm-hmm. believing that they're smarter and fa- uh, uh, because of what they're doing and what they know. So that, that so that means that the skills that are much more important moving forward, especially in an era of automation and artificial intelligence, means that, well, human intelligence has to become uh, an in-demand skill set uh, as well, but not in the way that it was before the pandemic. Uh, so somebody's got to train the bots, somebody's got to program, uh, especially as we move into these low-code uh, scenarios. So things like uh, analytical and innovation, creativity, active learning and learning strategies, complex problem solving, uh, critical thinking and analysis, originality, initiative, grit, <laughs> leadership, uh, this concept of like social capital, uh, technology, uh, literacy, digital literacy, uh, resilience, stress tolerance, uh, <laughs> these things, you know, or, or problem solving, reasoning, uh, design thinking these things are not taught in school today Mm -hmm. Uh, and we're essentially grooming a generation of students and have been actually for a world that doesn't exist when they're ready to work Uh, and it's actually happening to today's workforce where they're becoming uh, irrelevant in real time uh, and very little is happening at the management level to change this and very little is happening at the career or the worker level because they're so busy with everything else that they're doing that that's when they get blindsided when they're not needed anymore. So these soft skills that are critical become rather hard skills that mm. we have, they're, they're not easy. Uh, empathy is actually another skill that's going to need to be much more important, especially at the leadership level. Collaboration, working with people, uh, self-management, self-government, self-drive, self uh, self-determination. These things are going to be much, much more critical moving forward. Uh, and then you add to it just at the more basic level, like inclusion, adaptability. Uh, these things also become uh, hard skills that we're going to have to train and retrain, unlearn existing mm-hmm. employees and also students of tomorrow. That's going to, I, I think, help people then start to see the new opportunities that they can't today because they're so caught up in keeping up with everything that exists today. And I'll give you one last example, and then I got to run. The more you spend on things like TikTok and Instagram, you feel like you are creative because you have access to these tools and filters and things that actually, you know, in some cases, some of the most brilliant people in the world are making these videos that blow your mind. Um, but if they limit themselves to those platforms and they think that the only thing that they can get out of that is being an influencer and getting some free mm-hmm. tips, trips, and merch, uh, that's not a highly marketable skill for the world. But if you take that same determination and creativity and willingness to learn new tools that become much more uh, com- uh, a much more of a high uh, commodity or a precious commodity in the real world, like programming uh, bots, uh, then then you have you have a career. Uh, and longevity, and so there's, but there's no one really having those conversations today. So that's that's where I see uh, teachers, uh, leaders, HR, uh, that we have to start pushing these soft slash hard skills uh, into our employees and training them for the future that's actually unfolding now. 
Thank you for listening to The Hive Podcast with me, Natalie Nahai. To find out more about today's guest and the themes we explored, please visit the show notes page at natalienahai.com forward slash The Hive Podcast. If you've enjoyed the series, please do share it with your friends and give it a rating or review. And for more insights and insider tips, you can join my newsletter as well. My thanks to Caro C for producing. Thank you for listening. And I look forward to sharing more with you in the next episode.